Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Raw Podcast. I am your host for today, James Copley, and I'm joined by Echo Writers, Phil Smith and Joe Nicholson. There is uh, rather a lot to discuss over the past week, to be honest, so we're going to fire straight into it. First of all, a bit of housekeeping, though. We are live um, on Facebook and Twitter, so if you want to drop us a question or any comments, please do give us a shout. Um, so... We now know who owns what regarding shares at Sunderland. For those who have been living under a rock, Kirill Louis-Dreyfus has 41%. Stuart Donald has 34%. Juan Satori has 20%. And Charlie Methon has 5%. That equates to a Madrox majority of 59%. But Louis-Dreyfus has reiterated that he continues to operate the club day-to-day and is responsible for all major strategic decisions. However, it is somewhat hard to believe that an ownership um, group who has 59% doesn't have a say somewhere down the line, especially in terms of fund of the club. Uh, Phil fans are understandably hurt given the rhetoric when KLD arrived at Sunderland and it all seems one big mess. What have you made of it? And crucially, what does it all mean? Yeah, two very big questions. Um, well, I think first and foremost, I think it has been a really disappointing week or a really disappointing period, if you like. I think that obviously... You know, I can totally understand why fans feel let down and that, you know, fundamentally this is not how it was presented. Now, of course, in terms of what you say there, in terms of what does it mean? Well, Kirill Louis-Dreyfus and, and Sunderland say that actually he does have a controlling stake because the shareholders agreement um, that he signed with Stuart Donald, Charlie Methan and Juan Satori means that even though he only has 41% of the shares, the key strategic decisions are ultimately his domain and he can make them unilaterally unilaterally sorry i shouldn't try and use big words um so i think that ultimately kirillou dreyfus does make the key decisions at the football club kirillou dreyfus is in control this is something i'm not sure how common it is but it does happen in business um but i do think there's a gap between probably what fans were led to believe that this was the start of a very new era um, and increasingly with, you know, Charlie Methvin attending away games in the director's box, um, Juan Satori's return to the board, um, it feels like not the new era that was promised. And I think given the the turbulence and the disappointment of the years previous to Kirillou Dreyfus's arrival, I think it's felt like a little bit of a kick in the teeth, I think, the supporters, that they feel like they've been misled again. And I can totally understand that. I think that, you know, in terms of what it means, I think the next stage is the important one or in terms of is a very important one. You know, it's my understanding that Kirill has wanted to purchase more shares. He is willing and wants to purchase all of Stuart Donald and Charlie Metzen's shares um, sooner rather than later. So again, at that point, it's going to be a negotiation over price, isn't it? That's the top and bottom of it. That's going to be the next stage. Um, so hopefully we'll see Kirill take action on that because, you know, words are more important than actions, but words are really important. And I think he's got a lot of work to do to build trust in his leadership and hopefully the signs that um, he'll meet fans next week and he'll talk to them directly. I'm hoping is the start of of him beginning to do that and a recognition that the communication needs to be much better. Um, that was a very long answer to a fairly short question. But um, it is, you know, it's a really complex issue, isn't it? I, I do get what he is saying, Phil, about you know, signing the shareholder agreement that gives him strategic running of the club and the day-to-day responsibility is down to him. But I guess in terms of funding, it's very difficult to not take 
what is being said with a pinch of salt when an ownership group owns 59% and we know how businesses work and they need funding and that ownership group have to commit to a certain level of funding, if not that's holding the club back, which will affect the club on a day-to-day business. So whilst he might have control over the strategic decisions, those strategic decisions could possibly be hamstrung at the moment. Yeah, it's a fair, it's absolutely a fair point. I think the funding is one of the key aspects of this. Um, because as we know that there's essentially a commitment for funding to be done pro rata, which means that the shareholders are committed when there's an investment in the club to do so proportionately to their shares. So that is absolutely fair in what you raise, particularly bearing in mind that while the parachute payment money used to purchase the club is being repaid, it is not being repaid in full. So that debt is still being paid down when money goes into the club. And I think that's a really important point as well, because you know, it's a hugely controversial issue and rightly so. And that is one of the key questions, you know, in terms of, you know, Sunderland, Christian Speakman insists that in terms of player investment, they are one of the biggest spending club in League One. They spent the most on fees in January through Jamie Tetley and Trey Hume. So they reject the insinuation that the club is being held back because of funding issues. But it is, like you say, factually correct that for investment in the club, it needs to be done on a proportional basis. And clearly, given what happened in the years previous, um, it would be of rightly of huge concern to fans to know that 59% um, is held, not by Kirill Louis-Dreyfus. So I think that is a huge issue. Um, it's a hugely relevant one. And like I say, I think, you know, the onus is on, on Kirill now. Um, and, you know, it's not easy, but he needs to be on, on the front foot a little bit more. And hopefully that's something we'll see um, in, in the weeks and months ahead. I think that's something that's really important and needs to happen next. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose for every Jim in and Trey Hume in terms of spending money and, and those positive outcomes, there's also stuff like the pitch as well, which fans can look back on. Just looking at their Facebook comments now, we have comments from a few people, Michael Little, Neil McKenzie, Graham Dixon. We're going to come to those comments and, equip and questions in a second. Joe, what has been your take on this? Uh, you know, we were hoping after the past two weeks that this week might be a bit quieter, but that hasn't happened and it's all blown up again. What have you made of it all? Yes, it's another thing at the end of a very long uh, kind of two and a half weeks now, is it? Seems a, a lot longer than that. But um, yeah, obviously fans are understandably very disappointed with the news. Kira Louis-Dreyfus has come out and, and obviously said that he still kind of has main control of the club, but we something still doesn't quite add up with the fact that Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven have come out and said that they're prepared to sell their shares. And then we understand that Kira Louis-Dreyfus wants to purchase more of the club. So it does obviously ask the question kind of why are these people still around? Why are Madrox kind of still in this situation? Um, if you kind of report suggesting that Louis-Dreyfus has a trust fund of around, I think it's $2 billion. Um, and the kind of that's a lot more than what is needed to to purchase the full club. Um, I spoke to Kieran Maguire earlier this week, who's a football finance expert, and he estimated that Sunderland's worth about £30 million, kind of tops. If you look at what other clubs have kind of gone for in the EFL, Hull City, who were in the championship, went for £25 million. Um, Ipswich, who are also in League One, I think they went for around £20 million. So um, Louis Dreyfus should be able to buy out the rest of Madrox's shares, considering that he already owns... 41%. So, you know, something's still not quite adding up why he hasn't done that if he does want to purchase the full club and kind of take more control of the club. The important thing, I think, is, though, that um, the kind of power should be with the board of directors, which Stuart Donald 
and Charlie Methven aren't on, and most of the people on that board of directors are Kira Louis-Dreyfus's is people. Um, Joanne Sartori is on that board of directors. I think it was back in May last year that he went back onto the board after coming off. And the other people on that, that board is Maurice Louis-Dreyfus, who is Kirill's twin brother, Dave Jones, the Sky Sports presenter, Steve Davidson, who's the chief operating officer at the club. Then you've got um, Igor Levin, who's Louis-Dreyfus's family lawyer, uh, Patrick Truer, who is also got close links with the, the Louis Dreyfus family, and then uh, Simon Vumbacker, I think is how you say it. He's a he's a lawyer who's represented Mandrox. So there is there is um, some kind of representation for Mandrox on that board, but mostly it is Louis Dreyfus's people on the board. So you would hope that they're kind of making the the key decisions at the football club. But clearly, as we saw with the search for a new head coach, there are a lot of different voices at play, um, and we're still not kind of. We, you'd like to think that Kira Louis-Dreyfus is making the final decision. Um, but, yeah, there's clearly a lot of voices at play there. Yeah, I think it's um, it's tough for fans to take. I think given the rhetoric that when Kira Louis-Dreyfus came in, everybody so desperately wanted it to be a fresh start. You know, he was given a lot of licence, a lot of support. He mentioned asset strippers while not sort of directly aiming those comments at Stuart Donald and Charlie Methvin. Everybody took them in a certain way, which... I guess he or his representatives may argue he was referring to something else, but it all felt to me like a certain storyline was allowed to flourish. Even looking at around season ticket renewals, it was all, you know, come and join us on this on this <clears throat> this new journey, fresh start for the club, and open and honest dialogue and all of this. And I can completely understand why why fans feel a bit misled at the moment because it feels like they've been promised something that wasn't actually the case. Phil, what are the noises? from the club um at the moment obviously you spoke to the chief operating officer steve davison um today which you can read on the southern echo website yeah i think that listen the first thing to say is I, I agree with you i think that the the um the the dialogue around this um has not been good enough and i can if i was you know i felt um I felt fairly misled when the shares were released earlier this week. And so I certainly expect fans to have felt that way as well. Um, I think, again, in terms of what you're saying, in terms of the noises from the club, they are very much that, that Kirill does have absolute control of the decision-making process, um, both through the board and through the executive team who report directly into him and to him alone. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a case of you know, formal influence, you know, the shareholders having that formal influence over the decision-making procedure. I just think it's Joe alluded to, it's when, you know, those various voices can come into play at different stages, even if it's not a formal influence. It can make the decision-making process not as efficient as it should be. I think that's the probably the point. I think the club, as I said, you know, we understand that Lou Dreyfus wants to buy those shares. In terms of Joe made the point there, if he can, you know, he can afford them, so why doesn't he just do it now? Well, I think the answer to that is he's not prepared to pay over the odds. Um, you know, he feels that he'll pay a fair price for them. Um, I think you could, all Sunderland fans would agree that given that the parachute payment debt has not been repaid in full, I think people would feel very uncomfortable if they were to make an enormous profit by selling those shares that they have for an absolute premium. So I think it's a question of negotiation. I think it's a fair question to ask why Kirill took the deal, by the way, in terms of taking 41% and why he didn't push for more at the time. I think that's a question for Kirill to answer and hopefully at some stage he'll do that. Um, so the hope is 
that now that Stuart Donald and Charlie Methan have said they're prepared to sell, and we know that Carroll wants to, to buy them, um, we'll hope that they progress. But clearly, as I will keep coming back to, it's going to be a negotiation on price. And even though Carroll wants those shares, he's not going to pay an extortionate amount for them, I don't think. Just very quickly, Phil, a uh, question from Philip King. Um, what happened to the supposed NDA? Either it has been waived or someone has broken it. Do you have any insight on that at all? Because obviously last we heard from, from the Red and White Army minutes, the last term, last time round was that they couldn't disclose the share price, but I guess uh, the share um, split, but I guess there's, there's any one of a number of reasons this could have happened. Yeah, I'm told that the confidentiality clauses expired um, in the first period of this year. Um, people can make of that what they will. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we know that the club has spoken to supporter groups this week, actually yesterday, and we are awaiting the outcome of that and the publishing of those minutes in due course. Uh, KLD wasn't in attendance at the meeting yesterday, but is expected to talk to the Red and White Army group uh, next week at some point. Um, one issue, though, Phil, that continues to anger fans, um, given his attitude towards them in the past, is Charlie Methven attending away games. Most recently, Doncaster Rovers and AFC Wimbledon, uh, amongst others. Again, this isn't a good look and doesn't really particularly tally up very well with Madrox having little say in club matters day to day. You know, I think many fans can, if not accept, but understand Louis Dreyfus's words that, you know, Charlie Methven doesn't have anything to do with the day-to-day running of the club or the decisions, but then to then have him sat next to you, it, it's, a, it's a big yeah. tough, isn't it? Yeah, and and the sort of defence, inverted commas, is that, you know, issues, um, invites are issued by the away club um, and that Charlie Methven gets one as a shareholder and if he wants to attend, it's therefore, you know, his right. Um, I think ultimately, though, Kirill should have known the strength of feeling around this particular issue because it's absolutely right that there's a strength um, of feeling around this issue because, as you say, a lot of um, disrespectful comments were made. Um, And I think for a lot of people, it makes them incredibly uncomfortable that he's essentially acting as a representative of the club by sitting in the director's box. What I would say is there's now no reason for Kirill not to know the strength of that feeling. It's been communicated in various forms. It's been communicated directly to the club via the Red and White Army and other fan groups. So going forward, there should be no reason for that to continue. Um, I don't think it should have happened up until now, um, although I accept it's a, a kind of a, um, a sensitive matter. But there's no reason for it to continue because there's no reason why Kirill shouldn't now know um, the strength of feeling around this matter and, and the background to it. And Joe, what do you make of this issue? It would be nice one day to just have to report about uh, football, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be nice to uh, get to Saturday and, and report no matters on the pitch. Although, looking at the Wimbledon game last week, maybe not. But uh, hopefully improvements can be made on the pitch. But um, yeah, as Phil said, it's just, it's just not a, a really good look for, for Charlie Methven to be sitting in the director's box. And you could also ask kind of what Madrox can kind of gain from still being around. Obviously, they're... You know, fans have made it quite clear that they don't want them at the club anymore. But um, what they could still gain, obviously, if Sunderland do end up getting promoted to the Championship and then eventually to to the Premier League, which um, will will be the aim. Come the uh, the value of the club obviously increases dramatically. The the price you're looking at for when um, kind of you're selling a Premier League club is kind of pushing on for the 200 million mark. So a massive kind of 
difference from kind of the 30 million pounds that we kind of think is around what Sunderland is worth now in League One, if they can get up to that top division, the uh, the value of the club increases dramatically. So that's kind of why you'd think why Madrox is still kind of in the equation. Um, that's what they've kind of still got to gain. Um, but yeah, it's, it's obviously not a good look for for someone like Charlie Methven to be to be sitting in the director's box when um, fans made it quite clear um, they don't want Madrox part of the equation. Yes, as you mentioned, Joel Sunderland fans clearly want Madrox to go. Uh, Charlie Methven and Stuart Donald came out and said via The Athletic that they want to go after the shareholdings were released to the public. Um, looking back to history, Field have been saying that they would sell since the original fan protest, which was back in December 2019, which I can't believe it's that long ago this has been going on for now. You did touch on this earlier, but I mean, why hasn't it just happened yet? It's it's deeply frustrating. Price. You know, it, it really it really is that simple. And and that's kind of the point I was making before. Yes, there is a willing buyer and a willing seller, but it's whether they're willing at the, at the same price. And at the moment, and at times over the past year, that's clearly not been the case. You know, and as I say, I think it's important that Carol discusses why he took this deal on at the certain um, percentages, etc. And hopefully he'll do that in the future. I can understand that he wanted to get into the club because he wanted to start making a difference and started putting his stamp on it. So he's done a deal where potentially he doesn't get the majority of the shares, but he does get that control via the shareholders agreement. Um, but clearly um, the reason why he has not taken up more shares over the past year is because there isn't an agreement on price and terms. Um, simple as that. And that, and that is the thing that has to change going forward. Hopefully it will. Um, fingers crossed, you know, on everybody's part of it does. But as I say, you can understand if Carroll doesn't want to pay, um, you know, an over-the-odds amount for those shares, particularly when I say, as I've said before, there's a parachute payment debt that's still being paid down. And despite all this, Joe, um, should Kira Louis-Dreyfus purchase all of the shares in Sunderland, that will be largely by many seen as a, a very good thing by fans. And once again, it will probably be, you know, that will be accepted. It will be given a, a fresh start and a fresh chance and, it's it needs to happen first though doesn't it yeah well that's kind of what fans were hoping for this time last year when the so-called takeover happened they thought this was kind of a new year era um and they'll hope for that to happen with with louis Dreyfus taking up more um kind of shares uh in the club um we'll, we'll see if he does that we we understand that he he kind of has, has the appetite to do that but as phil alluded to before um comes down to price and uh yeah we'll see if that happens um and you know, there's there's bridges to be kind of built now because it does feel like fans feel like that they've been misled with the wording um of kind of the statements that have come out from the club and from louis dreyfus and um you know there's going to now need to be more kind of clarity and more transparency between his communication to the fan base Cool. So we will leave um, shareholding matters there and move on to some more big news which dropped today. Sunderland have announced the departure of club legend Kevin Ball after three decades of service. Done it all, really. Coach, manager, player, caretaker. <laughs> Phil, it's it's difficult really to sum up what Kevin Ball means to Sunderland, but a real shame to see him leave the club. We've got a, a guest over your shoulder. And there's the picture. <laughs> a very welcome guest as well. Um, yeah, listen, it's, it's a really sad day because if you have any kind of affinity to Sunderland AFC, then Kevin Ball's someone who means an awful lot to you. 
it's just a fact because you can't have an affection for Sunderland AFC without having an affection for Kevin Ball because, you know, it's one of those amazing things when someone, you know, not born from Sunderland, but who manages to to understand the region, the people, the city, what they want from their players, um, and not just understand it, but actually revel in it, you know, embrace it and take it on. And I just think, you know, so many players, managers, etc., pass through clubs and so few of them leave a legacy. And I think Kevin Ball leaves so many different legacies as the the memories from an unbelievable playing career, two promotions, um, an FA Cup final, probably the best period in Sunderland's modern history, which he was the heart of as the captain and centre midfielder. And then you've got the the coaching legacy as well. You know, we we always will go straight to players like Jordan Henderson, Jordan Pickford, because they embodied, you know, that's those standards and that respect that that Bowley demanded on the highest stage. But also everywhere you look across football, there are players who benefited from that. You know, George Honeyman, Martin Waghorn, Conor Hurahey and John Egan, players who've gone on to play at a really, really high level and carve out hugely successful careers who I think would all straight away tell you that, you know, that respect for, and that demand for hard work and those standards that Bowley set for years at the Academy of Light were an absolutely key part of their careers. I think it's sad that another stalwart of the club is gone. We have seen probably too many leave in the last few years. Um, you know, people like Craig Russell, John Cook, Kitman. Um, there has been a real, there's a big loss, I think, behind the scenes at the club. Um, you know, Kirill Louis-Dreyfus has said that Kevin Ball is always welcome at Sunderland and I sincerely hope that that's the case because everything that he's given to the club, he, he deserves to kind of enjoy the affection that supporters rightly still hold him in. I, I really hope that we see him, you know, see him again at Sunderland and see him very regularly because he, he deserves that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the saying is like sort of don't meet your heroes. But the, the thing I remember about Kevin Ball is just what a top bloke he is as well. In amongst everything, you know, the accolades that you've mentioned there and helping the likes of Jordan Pickford and, and Henderson and what he means to the club. But he sort of, his career was coming towards the back end of it when I was a kid. So I, d- I didn't really remember him as a player, but I remember going to interview him, interview him for a fanzine, and just how absolutely spot on he was. I was nervous. He he set us at ease, um, and he actually did a follow up with us. And I, I was a university student at the time, and it was I remember it was the day after Simon Grayson got sacked. <clears throat> so I thought there is no way Kevin Ball is coming to meet me the day after Simon Grayson has been sacked. Um, and sure enough, there he was, ten minutes before the allotted time, um, punctual as ever, living by the standards that he set at Sunderland for so, so long. And that just always stuck with me because he didn't have to do that and he probably had things going on and, and calls he had to take. But, uh, yeah, a top look and a big loss to Sunderland, Joe. Yeah, uh, obviously a hugely popular figure and you two are probably better place to, to speak about him than, than I am. Um, but you just listen to kind of what the likes of Jordan Pickford and Jordan Henderson say about him, held him in such kind of high regard, um, speak very highly of him and, and really credit him for the role they played, that he played in their career to become established England internationals and as Phil mentioned as well, that's kind of had a, a kind of drip down to other players through the academy that Kevin Ball has kind of helped bring on and really helped their careers. Um, I spoke to him over the summer about before the Euros, it was about Pickford and Henderson and he was kind of um, praising their attitude and and um, how they made it to the top. But they're also very thankful to him and and give a lot of, of credit to him for the role that he played in their career. So, um, yeah, it'll be a big Big loss for Sunderland. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll see him back at the Stadium of Light sometime. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, wish him well on what he decides to do next. But there is a game on Saturday, Phil, in and amongst all of this. I feel like I say this every podcast that the game 
football has actually become some sort of weird afterthought when it comes to uh, Sunderland AFC at the moment. But we play MK Dons. Alex Neal still searching for that first win as Sunderland manager. Yeah, well, well the Sunderland, Alex Neal. What, what a first week <laughs> to you, mate. Um, yeah, huge game. MK Dons are a good side. Um, you don't sit third in the table um, this deep into the season unless you seriously have something about you. Um, good individual players, um, a real clear way of playing. Um, Sunderland beat them earlier at the MK Don Stadium, but that was Liam Manning's first game. And even then, I was pretty impressed with their performance, to be honest. Um, so this is going to be a really tough challenge. I think the big thing for me is I just want to see some signs of um, Alex Neal putting the stamp on it. You know, last Saturday, you didn't see that for the very obvious reason. He'd had one 40-minute training session, so he was never going to be able to make much make much of an impression. Obviously, he had one or two tactical tweaks, but you know that wasn't Alex Neal's first game in charge, really. Um, and while I don't expect kind of a revolution, um, hopefully that kind of free week and that actual spell on the training ground and behind the scenes at the academy, I'm hoping we'll sort of be able to come away from Saturday, hopefully with a win, because Sunderland really need it, because this really is a battle to get to keep that playoff place now. That's what this season's about. Um, but I hope we'll sort of come away and to be able to feel like I've seen more of what his vision is and how he's going to coax a bit more out of this group of players sort of towards the end of the season and touch wood through the playoff campaign as well. Absolutely. Alex Neal's press conference due to be tomorrow in the morning at some point. So please head over towards the Sunderland Echo website for coverage of that. Joe, what are you expecting from the MK Dons side of things? Obviously, you've spoken to a few people at their end. MK Dons above Sunderland at the table at the moment. So this makes this game even more challenging. Yeah, really tough game. And as we've mentioned before, it's a direct promotion rival or probably playoff rival now. Two points ahead of Sunderland. They're third. Sunderland sit fourth. So really important game for both sides. And Liam Manning's gone in there, as we said, that Sunderland game in August where Sunderland won 2-0, uh, 2-1, sorry, at, um, at Stadium NK. That was Liam Manning's first game. And he's turned out to be a really popular appointment there. And he's, he's done a really good job from what I've heard. He's kind of um, made him a bit more difficult to beat, kind of shored them up at the back last season from when they were playing a lot of nice football under Russell Martin. But um, sometimes they, they thought it was a bit ponderous, a bit too slow at times. I think he's really quickened their kind of attacks up and made them a bit more kind of potent um, when they are going forward. Interestingly, they've also brought in former Sunderland striker Connor Wickham. They signed him in, in January. He's made a few kind of cameo appearances off the bench, so he'll probably be on the bench again on Saturday and may even come on um, at the stadium. Like, but yeah, really tough game. They've got some really good technical players. I think Scott Twine is probably got the highest assists in, in League One or close to. So, um, yeah, really going to be a really tough game, I think, Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. You can head over to the Sunderland Echo website for all of the pre-match build-up. And afterwards, you can hear from Alex Neal. Phil's play ratings will also be on there. Um, yeah, this has been the Raw Podcast. Once again, thank you very much for listening.